Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily DC. Questions are swirling about the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak in Wuhan, China. Reports emerging allege that China knew the potential scope of the outbreak six days before alerting the public, an accusation China denies. And CNN reporting just last night that U.S. intelligence agencies are looking into the possibility that the virus originated in a laboratory in Wuhan and was accidentally released into the public, something hinted at by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. What we do know uh, is we know that this uh, virus originated in Wuhan, China. We know that there is the Wuhan Institute of Virology just a handful of miles away from where the wet market was. Uh, There's still lots to learn. You should know that the United States government is working diligently to figure this out. This unconfirmed theory, pushed by supporters of the president, comes as the administration, of course, seeks to shift the focus from its own response to the outbreak of the virus here in the United States. Yesterday's press briefing, President Trump announced he may take an unprecedented step and force Congress to adjourn in order to attempt to make recess appointments. Give a listen. The Senate should either fulfill its duty and vote on my nominees or it should formally adjourn so that I can make recess appointments. If the House will not agree to that adjournment, I will exercise my constitutional authority to adjourn both chambers of Congress. Here to help us understand all of this and the effort by the administration to place the focus elsewhere, we've got two great guests, CNN congressional reporter Phil Mattingly, and then in a bit we're going to speak with CNN national security analyst Sam Vinograd on the global security impact of all of this. But first, uh, to Phil, thank you much for being here, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. So when the President of the United States goes into the Rose Garden and floats this notion that he is going to adjourn Congress himself uh, in order to get recess appointments done, what's the first thing that happens to a congressional reporter in in terms of your phone blowing up from members of Congress? Uh, Well, first you know your dinner plans are ruined. Uh, Then (laughs) what you have, and what's really interesting is, you know, when you talk to members, both senators and House members, they don't have, like, they're very busy on the phone throughout the course of the day. But usually when the president's press briefing starts is right around the time that they start to get their first real break. And so they're all watching. And what immediately happens is some are unsolicited, some uh, to good Sources of mine that are House or, or House members or senators, I'll, I'll shoot a quick note being like, did you see that? And then it's just they just start flooding in. It's just like rants by text message. What is he doing? Did you know about this in advance? Why is he doing this? And this is not a partisan thing. You have Democrats and Republicans thinking that as a congressional correspondent who, who fancies himself fairly knowledgeable about congressional rules. I think I had a same similar reaction to what a lot of the members did, which was like, wait, can he do that? quickly pulling up pocket constitutions and seeing like, technically, yeah, he can. But I think there's also, and you kind of noted this, 
everybody's reaction right now, for the most part, was he's just trying to get people to focus on something else to some degree. But it seemed to me the most significant public reaction to it came from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's team, who it seemed the team was making clear if if this was to proceed, it was going to have to be with the agreement and consent of the Democratic leader, Chuck Schumer. It was the most perfect Mitch McConnell statement. And, you know, it's one of those things where you're not totally sure. His office doesn't comment on a lot of things. The leader doesn't comment on a lot of things when you see him in the hallways or when you talk to him in, in the hallways. And so when he comments, you read everything very closely. And if you read his two-sentence statement that was given by his spokesman, you would think it was rather benign, basically saying he shares the president's frustration about nominees. He wants to try and find mission-specific ways to confirm mission-specific nominees as it relates to COVID-19. And then at the very end, he makes clear, but that would have to be done with the consent of the Democratic leader, Chuck Schumer. That's not benign. That's the majority leader stepping in and saying, this is not going to happen, whether or not you think it's possible. I am not allowing the Senate to be taken over like this. And while I appreciate your concerns, sorry, that's not going to work, but nice press conference. I'm paraphrasing there. But yeah, that's what he means. <laughs> but yes, as you said, he, it, McConnell, whenever he wants to brush back the president or the White House a bit, which is not all that common, right. but when he does want to, he always crafts it in a way that there's nothing overt in terms of criticism of the president or the White House. It is always crafted in a way just about the process and procedure on his side of Pennsylvania Avenue that would or would not allow something to move forward. 100%. And I think, you know, you, you could do a whole five-hour episode of the pod on McConnell's relationship with President Trump, and I would love to participate in that because I think one of the underappreciated elements of the Trump presidency is even after a pretty rough first six months, nobody— Nobody understands how to work with and work President Trump like Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. And it has led to a, a, a just a huge number of wins on issues that McConnell wants. So, Phil, just quickly before you go, we're a little less than 24 hours after the president made this announcement as we're recording this podcast. You would say the status of the president's pursuit of this is what? Uh, I can't speak to the status of the president's pursuit. I can say the possibility of it happening is quite literally 0%. And it's not just because, I'll make this as quick as possible, but yes, he has the authority in the Constitution. He's only allowed to invoke the authority if there's disagreement about adjournment between the House and the Senate. There's currently agreement between the House and the Senate about when the chambers adjourn, and that's in January of 2021. They would have to bring their members back. Both chambers would have to vote to adjourn. No, but no member wants to come back right now. And the Senate would have to vote, send it over to the House, where House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who is a Democrat, would not even have to take it up at all. So there would never actually be disagreement. I just went way too in the weeds and granular on this one. But I'm telling you, this is not something that's going to happen. Whether or not the president wants to pursue it, uh, I'll let smarter people than me try and figure that one out. I think that was pretty good. You did a lot of math there without using numbers to show us how you got to 0%. So that was excellent. It was all with words. Uh, Phil Mattingly, thank you very much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Now I want to turn to Sam Vinograd, CNN national security analyst. Sam, one of the things that I, I know because we are in the middle of a public health crisis that perhaps a lot of folks don't uh, necessarily think about instantly when they think about coronavirus, but there are huge national security implications at play as the United States is, is dealing with this. In fact, the president was just speaking with some international counterparts today about uh, his decision to not fund the World Health Organization, the, the WHO. Um, so let's just start there, just because that is an a international organization and one that the president was discussing with his counterparts today. So just take that 
uh, announcement from the president. And by the way, not that the World Health Organization should not come in for some criticism. I, I, I don't think anybody suggests that they are. it is an organization that has no right to be criticized. Uh, but uh, the idea of the United States pulling out its funds for it, how is that going to be received with our partners across the globe? Well, I think the clearest way to sum up the president's decision to freeze funding to the World Health Organization, where the WHO's largest donor, is just to ask a basic question of what's more important right now than saving lives. I'm not here to defend the WHO. I think that has major problems when it comes to bias towards certain countries, in particular, in particular right now, bias towards China, for example, uh, when it comes to really propagating their talking points in the early days around coronavirus, and even on things like Taiwan and not allowing Taiwan to participate in various bodies because China doesn't want them to. But at the moment, what's more important than the WHO and every other multilateral organization and government working to save lives? I really can't come up with anything that's more important than that. And this fits with two key themes uh, associated with the president. He is a creature of habit. One is using money to extort governments and to extort organizations to do his bidding. But remember, the WHO is also working with us, not just on coronavirus response. So the president's being quite myopic here because by freezing this funding, he may be creating more health emergencies down the road because the WHO isn't able to move funds towards towards different diseases. And the, the separate theme uh, that we're seeing uh, recurrent here is a scapegoating series by the president. You look at what the WHO said about COVID-19 and said about China in January. It was pretty on track with what President Trump was saying with respect to Chinese, quote unquote, transparency. That's a word that Trump used in his tweet. So the WHO and President Trump were in lockstep when it came to China's approach in the early days on COVID-19. So Trump is looking for someone to bully here. Uh, and he's really not fooling anyone. He's just putting lives at risk and furthering the notion that the United States will unilaterally freeze funding to bodies, even if there are fatal consequences. And in terms of China itself, yes, you're referring to the tweet from the president praising transparency from China back in January. It's pretty clear now. It's not just the uh, WHO uh, being utilized by the president and his allies as a scapegoat here, uh, but it also is now China in many ways. You, you heard earlier in the podcast, I played that sound from Secretary of State Pompeo. Uh, we know that... Um, intelligence agencies are looking into, and it's not confirmed. We don't know. There, this may be true, uh, but looking into the notion of the coronavirus being started in this uh, laboratory in Wuhan and released accidentally into the public, uh, what do you make of what you're hearing now from the administration as it relates to China? And, and what does that do, if you can, sort of, Sam, overlay that the overall China-U.S. relationship here, the import of that in order to get us through this public health crisis? Well, let's be clear. There are two different intelligence uh, assessments likely ongoing right now. One is about the source of the virus, and the second is about how China has tried to cover up the origin of the virus, the scope and the scale. And then perhaps a third one, how China is trying to manipulate this moment for its own personal gain. With respect to the first and the origin and the source of the virus, I mean, just think for a second, 
what it would be like if we could just get a reliable answer from China. I mean, this is why we have partnerships between the CDC, the WHO and other entities to work with other countries to find out the truth about how these diseases uh, originate and how to address them. We obviously can't rely on China for anything. And that's Which is a why huge problem. I mean, China has a responsibility. It on the is, world stage it is David, but but an intern in the intelligence community's East Asia directorate would know that you cannot trust anything coming out of China. This is not just related to the coronavirus. In China, if the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, say says black is white and white is black, that's how it goes. And so when it comes to any public health emergency, the economy, treatment of the Uyghurs, any other issue, the intelligence community has to work in overdrive because whatever they're saying, the Chinese are saying publicly is disinformation and misinformation. So at this point, it, the intelligence community has to work in overdrive just to figure out from intelligence sources what should be available just through government to government relations. So we have to put this coronavirus episode in context. Now, with respect to the virus itself, you know, as a national security professional, I really and deeply troubled, troubled by the fact that without knowing where this virus originated, but knowing that China was spreading misinformation and disinformation about this virus and continues to, by the way, how President Trump was so positive on China in January, February, and even to an extent a few days ago, intelligence is supposed to be an input to policymaking, right? So if you have intelligence that President Xi Jinping tried to cover up this virus and was using every instrument of state power to spread lies about the virus, then ostensibly the policy towards China should be pretty coherent. It should be balanced. You don't want to ostracize them. We need supplies from China right now. But it certainly shouldn't be placating the guy that's wreaking havoc on global health. What we've seen instead is kind of like a swinging pendulum of extremes. Fast forward until two or three weeks ago when we were American lives were literally dependent on medical supplies from China. And all of a sudden we're kind of back to rainbows and unicorns with respect to Trump uh, and his perspective on Xi Jinping. To say that this policy has been discordant is putting it mildly. And unfortunately, what it means is that whenever we do come out of this, David, the Chinese are likely going to feel like they are in control of our bilateral relationship. And that's that's what they are seeking to get out of this moment, to show their superiority on the global stage and to show that the United States is disorganized, can't be relied upon and more. It's worth noting that the way that intelligence assessments work, they're additive. So as you get more information, um, you adjust intelligence assessments and assign a higher confidence level to whatever your assessment is. So it is likely, it is not unusual that the intelligence community right now is kind of, I'm gonna use the word investigating, investigating different leads with respect to the source of the virus. As they get more intelligence, whether that's from human intelligence, communications intelligence, or, or what have you, they will update their assessments and their confidence level. The big question, though, is even if they do that, how is President Trump going to use it, right? He ostensibly has myriad high-confidence assessments that China has done everything possible to cover up the truth about this virus, yet he hasn't changed his approach. So it's, uh, it, it's hard to know how much the intelligence matters because the president fails to use intelligence uh, in every way possible. Before I let you go, Sam, I, can I just get a broader perspective from you? You know, something with such huge impact on our society and the way we're living, the way that this coronavirus uh, pandemic 
has caused this change in our society, the huge public health implications, uh, the global nature of it. You know, when something this big rocked American society in the past, like 9-11, and I realized that that was Islamic terrorism, uh, it shifted the entire national security posture of the country. And uh, Samantha Power had written about this and it caught my eye. And I wanted to get your take. Do you believe that America's national security posture is now going to or should, in your opinion, change its footing and its posture because of the crisis we're dealing with now and the future threat that continues to come our way from pandemic? Well, the real answer to that question, David, is it depends on who is in the White House. The threat of a global pandemic is something that successive administrations have been focused on. President Obama's team briefed the incoming uh, Trump administration on the threat of a pandemic. They did a tabletop exercise about it. What we saw was President Trump's team really set about uh, creating more disorganization within the bureaucracy to respond to a global health pandemic and really put us in worse footing uh, to prepare for and respond to a pandemic like the COVID-19 outbreak that we're living through. So if we have a Democrat elected, yes, I think any logical person would take a step back, look at the failures of the U.S. government uh, with respect to COVID-19 and figure out how to do better the next time, both in terms of forecasting a pandemic and then responding to it. But, you know, there's one recovery that doesn't make headlines right now. We look at the global health recovery, the economic recovery. More broadly, that's a national security recovery. I don't think this country has ever experienced a resource drain like what we're living through right now because of coronavirus. But whenever things get back to some semblance of normal, we are going to be so behind with respect to other threats uh, that were on our radar, radar before coronavirus. And so the national security recovery more generally is something that I hope a new president in January 2021 will be able to think strategically about. Sam Vinograd, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks, David. Stay healthy. You too. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow.